Hello, Mirella here. We had such a compelling conversation with Suzanne Barr talking about cultural appropriation in the kitchen that we thought we'd release the entire interview as a special episode. I hope you enjoy listening in as much as we enjoyed the chat. Josh, now we have a guest in the studio again today. We do! Very exciting. The fantastic chef, Suzanne Barr. Welcome. Welcome. How nice to have you. Thank you for having me. And Suzanne was the owner of Saturday Dinette Restaurant and more recently is featured in a documentary called The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. Yes. Which is out now. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's it's really so. Uh, it still amazes me that the film I, that I had the opportunity to be a part of the film because I remember when Maya first contacted me, Maya Gallus, the director. It was maybe two years, uh, a year before we actually started really filming, and she came in and she came to the restaurant and she was like, "So I'm working on this documentary. It's about females in the kitchen. Would you like to be a part of it?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm really busy. I gotta go." And I just like kind of like forgot about it. And she said, we'll be back in contact. And eventually she got back in contact. And then the filming started like a year, literally a year later. Now, we knew nothing of any of the other co-stars um, in the within the chefs within the film. And so for us, it was just kind of like we were just telling our story. We were telling what was happening at Saturday Dinette. We were opening another restaurant. I was then going to the Gladstone. So it was so a little surreal because I didn't know anything of what the film was going to look like, the body, the base, the volume, the the magnitude that it's kind of gaining, the momentum. It's it's so amazing how, how well the film has been doing. And I'm so excited to like to be a part of that and to be a part of history within this film. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. There's some really awesome voices there. Yeah. Um, and it's something that happened a bit before the wave of Me Too smashed into everything. Yeah, I mean, I think that at the time, because our stories were so individual, like Anita Lowe was in the process of closing her restaurant. Um, Angela Harnett was in London working on her project. Chef um, Charlotte Langley was doing her her pop-up events and her dinners. We were all telling our stories, and I think we were all very conscious of what was happening within the industry and what was out there in the news. And I think we that question never came to us. It was more about our stories, how we got there, hmm. why we got there, and what we were doing to 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 keep our voices loud and strong and pre- and present. You know, like she never said to me, "Had you ever been um, pushed, shoved, abused, manipulated? Any suggestions? Any innuendos? Anything?" And it was always very just like direct. Talk to me about what it feels like and gave me an opportunity to share my story and my voice and the the re, like the ramifications from that has been like an open com- communication with so many women around the world that have contacted me and are like thank you for your voice thank you for your words thank you for sharing and for me that's like yeah, it's it's something quite That's exciting. Goosebumps. That's wonderful. It's really yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it when the community comes together in that way. We have uh, communities of women in beer as yeah. well, and it's it's a wonderful, empowering yeah, feeling. Absolutely. So, Suzanne, we've brought you in today to tackle a, an easy topic. Just a quickie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And back in episode eight, Joshna and I started a conversation about cultural appropriation in the kitchen. And the idea of if one person cooks something that is from a different background than theirs, 
is it okay? Is it not okay? Where is the line? And we ended up coming up with more questions than yeah. we did answers. Yeah. And we thought <laughs> we need right. to call in some reinforcements. That's and Joshna it. said, I know the woman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the, so this is why we brought you here. Yes. Um, because uh, to dig a little deeper. Yeah, right. What became absolutely. very clear with our conversation is that we needed to we needed to push this thinking a little bit and really figure out where we land right. on this, right? And what we're talking about when we say cultural appropriation and food. What right. does that mean? Right. So maybe we start off with I'd love it if you maybe you tell us what you think it is. What does that look like in the context of restaurants or bars or, you know, something like that? Right. So I don't have my Wikipedia definition, no, no, no. nor do I want my Wikipedia yeah, yeah, definition. Yeah. But I will start with is actually what's happening to, for me right now, presently in my life. So I've signed on to a project um, that I'm very excited to be a part of that's actually um, here in Toronto on King Street East called True True Diner. Um, the opportunity to be able to join on a, a project that has already been in motion. So the, the, the restaurant itself has had been a pizzeria, it had been fast casual restaurant that had been around open for about five years. And I came on initially as consultant to make this restaurant kind of feel more a restaurant, a sit down dining experience. Now, the owner didn't know anything other than maybe what he'd heard from a few people about me, but I have never cooked Italian food. I do not have any uh, cultural identity that I know of to Italian cuisine. But as being a chef and as being someone that is a lover of food and as a person that appreciates food that has influenced me and spending over I mean, roughly about two months traveling in, in Italy, I, I thought, yeah, I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. And so I created a menu. And then out of creating that menu came then another conversation and then another a really in, amazing opportunity to become a partner of this project. So this project closed the doors as a, as a pizzeria, as a fast casual pizzeria just this week. And we are in the process of restructuring it and rebuilding it and remodeling it as to reopen as a diner called True True Italian Diner. So I asked the question early in the conversations, how does it feel for you to have a black woman um, cooking as your chef, being named as your executive chef, to now be running this Italian diner? Right. Like, what is that about? Yeah. Like, one, what is Italian diner? What is an Italian diner? And then two, like, can I really be as authentic as the many, many amazing Italian restaurants that are here in Toronto that have representation on top of representation? What can I bring to it that I feel would actually make an impact that's already not already making an impact in the city? And so I had to go deep. I had to go so deep into thinking about what diner meant for me and what Saturday dinette meant for me. And that took me thinking about when we really sat down, looked at the space and we were like, okay, diner cuisine brings about community. It brings about conversation. It brings people to the table. It brings people to, to share food, to share as a family, to go back again and again and again. I'm like, that sounds like every goddamn restaurant. Sorry, curse. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like every restaurant in Toronto, but Really, truly, that sounds like what we did at the dinette. Who's to say that I can't do it again? And we're ready. We want to do it again. And so my partner and I really thought about that. And the owner was like, listen, like, you're, you've are you got the, the opportunity. Like, you do with it what you want. But 
I want you to feel comf- comfortable and confident. And so I really had to like do a little soul searching on my own to feel like, can I be viable? And I think what really came to me outside of having the reflections back to the dinette was the reflection back into understanding the root of what Italian and what of root of cooking is really about, which is a slow tradition which is a slow tradition of making food. And I think of gastronomy, I think of slow foods, I'm thinking of slow nations, and I think about what that looks like. And that's really kind of how I came about with this menu for this new uh, diner that's opening, hopefully within the next four to six weeks. And for me, it was, uh, it still is kind of a little scary. When the sign went up, I was like, Italian was next to my word. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Right. You know, how many conversations am I going to be invited to where someone's going to say, how do you feel that you have the right to make Italian food when you've never, one, done it? Two, you are not Italian. Three, you may have spent two months there. But what do you know about the the richness of the, of the people, the richness of the language and richness of the culture? And I said, because my people, my culture, everything that we are about is as rich as what you're about. So why can't I not? Of course I can and that just empowered me. You know, it really has empowered me. And this conversation is going to empower me so that I can continue to talk about what my plan is to do at that restaurant. And it not just be this voice of creating Italian food that only speaks to Italian people that only know Italian, that expect it to be what it's expected to be. Because when you expect it to be what you think it is, that's when you, you miss the opportunity to, to surprise people and to give people a chance to to close that possible door of misconceptions and really open up to the possibility of it being anything and everything you want it to be. So when you were approaching this menu, did you approach it thinking, I want to do something that's authentically Italian? Or did you think, I want to do something that's Italian-inspired? And because, you know, when I think Italian, uh, a diner is not the first thing. Right. (laughs) For sure. So I feel like you had some wiggle space there going in. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what was your approach? Yeah, you know, it's like, I think it was a bit of both, to be honest. Like, I contacted a few chef friends in the city, um, one of them being Chef Bacher, um, someone that I absolutely adore, who uh, has spent majority of his life, speaks very fluent Italian. And I said, Bashir, right. talk to me. How can I, who's never lived in it, in Italy, actually say that I'm making somewhat authentic Italian food? And this diner, and he's like, it's a diner? And I'm like, yeah, it's a diner. (laughs) Even he was like, whoa, it's a diner? That's great. (laughs) But I think that, you know, like within our conversation, it wasn't so much that it, I I would ever find myself in a conversation where, whether it was to a guest or to a a newspaper newspaper journalist or to anyone saying that I'm doing authentic, um, classic Italian dishes at our diner. (laughs) Okay. I think that, you know, and that's that's a part of my comfort, too. And I think that that's part of the wordplay. That's that why what allows and to your point of that wiggle room, which allows it to have a bit more of a space. It it kind of pushes against the norm. And diner is is that place of comfort. And it's that space of comfort that I want to be presenting. I want to do as much um, food that represent this amazing repertoire of food that comes from this region. But I also want to talk about the amazing sl- f- countries that also offer an approach of slow food pro- gastronomy. So let's talk about the other side for yeah. a minute. 
because going into our initial conversation, my impression had always been, I don't care who's cooking. If you have an appreciation for the food of another culture, you can cook the food of that other culture. And it's quite convenient that we're talking about Italian food because I have an Italian background. And when I go to an Italian restaurant, I don't care who's cooking behind there because it's not going to be exactly Italian food. Exactly Italian food is like what my nonna made, what my tia made. That's hardcore. You know, they're cook. They're growing their own peppers. They have. You know, it's yeah. it's a much deeper. Like, like what Italian food is is much deeper. And I don't expect that in a restaurant. And therefore, when I'm in a restaurant, I just find I don't. I don't. I really don't care who's cooking. That being said, when we started the conversation, Joshna did bring up a few examples that made me uncomfortable. So I want to take a moment to think about or to discuss when is it n- not okay. When we even look at some of the Italian and most restaurants in this city, the majority of people that are cooking that food are not Italian. And that's what is also really interesting to me. So to really feel like, much like to your point that I don't care who's who's actually cooking it, but I, I'm, I'm more aware and conscious of that it's delicious, that it transports me to a moment where I will never forget that 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 sauce i'll never forget that that really beautiful cheese that oozed out of that beautiful burrata whatever that might particularly be um but it is interesting that when you look at the demographics of the background of most kitchens they don't look like anything that is the cuisine that we are actually focusing or even talking about here right so but then so if we want to anchor this back or connect back to our appropriation conversation what what like, I want to know at what point in your thought processes where you're like, were you thinking, uh, I can't I, I can't appropriate Italian food or did it did it even come up? Because is it possible to do that? Because if we heard the story the other way around, where there was some Italian dude who spent two months in Jamaica and was like, hey, man, I got it. It's cool. Me and the jerk. I'm going to open up my own spot. We w- I can feel us being up in arms about that. It's not so much that I would have I'd be up in arms about it. I would be very curious and very excited to, to taste where, where did he go? How long did he spend and who did he cook with and what is he making and who is he, who's working in the kitchen? And I think that that would be my first. I mean, just like anybody that opens up a restaurant or, or a business in, in, in any city, it's, it's not. And it goes back to your point of like, it's not so much about, and I'm not saying it's not so much about who, who that person is, but it's like, okay, so I know that it's this, this white guy that's now, come back from Jamaica and he's making this, he's got this hip and happening spot and he's making this wicked jerk sauce, you know, like, how does that make me feel? You know, first I'd want to go and taste it. And then second, I'd be like, okay, well, I would have to be honest. I'd have to be like, it's not my jerk sauce. It's good. Would I come back? I don't know. You know, and I think that that's, that's, that's my only true honest question or mm-hmm. response to that is that I, I need to kind of, you know, feel out the situation, feel out the vibe, feel out how, how he approached it. Like, how do you, how is the entrance into your, your space? Like there's so many parts hmm. to your experience yeah. in having Jamaican food and, and, and the memories that it brings back and, and memories that it conjures for me. Because I know when I go to The Real Jerk and on the East End and when I step into that space, I immediately get reflect, I get transported back to when I was 15 years old, going to like the first Jamaican spot outside of my own parents' house and like eating Jamaican food in this little, you know, spot. And we're eating it out of the, out of the styrofoam container. And I want to make sure that that, that memory, that flashback, that, 
that that um, that evocation is there and that it's happening because that's part of why I go out to enjoy restaurants. That's why I do what I do as a mm. as a chef and as a restaurateur is that I want to create that same experience for anybody that steps into our space. So where is there a line for you? You said you you'll feel it out. What's yeah. what sort of things would rub you the wrong way, or do you just feel cultural appropriation is not a thing in the oh, kitchen? Oh no, no, I think it's absolutely a thing, but I think that. I don't think that it's a, a thing that bothers me to the point where I will say, I'm not going to eat there because you are of a non-cultural representing the food that you're making. I'm not saying that at all, because then you would probably have to stop eating at every restaurant in the city. Well, exactly. <laughs> that's the sort of material truth, that's the, right? That's the truth. Because the people that are are making the foods in every single restaurant in this city are not the ones that are actually culturally attached to this food. Hmm. That's big, right? That's yeah. a big it's bit of truth. truth. Uh, and it is entirely the truth. We see it happening over and over and over again. And I actually think that we're all playing a little game of Emperor's New Clothes with notion of authenticity about all of it. Right. Right? Yeah. We're all like, that's really yeah. what this is leading to, right? Yeah. And And maybe, just maybe, backs wouldn't get up so intensely if we <laughs> let go of... Yeah. This authenticity piece yes. and just understand that particularly here in this country, in this city, which is a very specific version of the diversity that we're nurturing so much in this country. Uh, this is what's happening yeah. everywhere all the time. And I think, you know, like there was an article goes back. I, I can't date it exactly. But when um, a restaurant here in the city opened up, a Jamaican restaurant opened up, there was a few um, chefs that quoted that were quoted about how they felt about uh, this this establishment that opened. And the owner, uh, a white woman that opened the restaurant, she made a comment in the article that basically said there were no other really good Jamaican restaurants in the city. So I felt that I was doing justice by opening. And I am probably misquoting her. No, but I don't. But more or less, that's what's what she said. And that to me is um, some that's cultural appropriation when it's gone. That's the problem. That's, that's the like wild version that's of the, it. That's yeah. like that's exactly why people get their backs up. Yes. That's why the backs are up, because who are you to say that? Not just to say that, not just to assume that you haven't maybe spent half of your life traveling and vacationing to Jamaica and have many friends that are Jamaican that take you and they expose you to all these wonderful things. But it's to disregard the thousands of chefs that and, and caterers and private chefs and, and little mom, mom and, and pop, pop spots, spots right? For sure. that are killing it in the little communities throughout this city and many cities globally that have been making this food and serving it and giving people a cultural experience that transports you back to where they know as home. Yeah. How can you say that? Like. Well. We're getting into white privilege there, which <laughs> yeah. I think we identified was one and, of the big issues yeah. in and our so original power, conversation. Right? It is the use of power. When I was tossing this around, I thought to myself, you cannot just, you have to understand the position that you come from, right? And what your historical connection to power is. Because in that same piece, I remember I was quoted in that piece. Uh, the, the author, she came and asked my opinion. And one of my answers to her was that I have to wear my identity as a person of color. 
I don't get to zip out of my brown skin and enjoy all kinds of white privilege at the end of the day. So I think that that should be applied to everybody. And so if we have uh, white people uh, who want to open restaurants, they need to spend more time in their own skin and connecting to what that history of power actually is uh, before they say things like, it's about time there was a fantastic Jamaican restaurant in Toronto. Exactly. Right? You can't You can't just let those things fly out of your mouth. Like, I'm not here to, to say that, nor will I ever be on any conversation, within any conversation about... I make the most authentic, amazing Italian food in this city come to True True Diner. That will never leave my lips because that's not what my intent is. That's not what I am. My objective. That is not my truth. That is a false reality. And that is not what what my role as a person that is consciously responsible of the words and the power of my words can convict and what it's the message that it sends out. Yeah, what I'm hearing is that as long as the the person who is cooking the food is coming from a place of respect for that culture mm-hmm. uh, and love for that food, then they're in the clear. <laughs> I think it has to be. Yeah. Right? I think it has to be because I want to protect the freedom to experiment for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I love traveling places and eating things and coming back and having that be in the dishes that I serve to people. Uh, Just the chef inside of me loves that. Right. I happen to be in the body of a brown woman. But the just from a sort of of like a professional development perspective, I reserve the right to be able to do that really freely. And so Mm -hmm. you need to you need to offer that up as much as I expect it. Um, But there there's a there's something here about the authenticity. And about letting go of it, right? First, I think authenticity is a bit of a myth yeah. in the yeah. first place, right? Completely. The notion that it's like, this is my legit grandmother's thing, which I mean, fine, that might be my grandmother's thing, yeah. but how different but it is. But you're not your grandmother. No. So it's already removed. Precisely, yes. right? And and what she did is actually quite different from what her grandmother did, mm-hmm. right? And so this notion that there's this pure line of a dish that travels down through the generations is nuts. Right. And a complete fallacy. I mean, even just in my own family, in three or four generations, we made a move from India to Africa to Canada. Mm-hmm. There's right. no way any <laughs> of those recipes are authentic any longer, right? They are true to who we are, where we are now. Right. Um, but I think that I think that the key piece in what you're talking about is that you're not making any claims to authenticity. Right. You're saying we're taking the the inspiration of the the both the content and the attitude towards food. In right. the Italian Italian culture, and we're applying that to the context of a diner. Right. That's that's like a curious experiment at some point. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's you know it had so much to say, and it feels so uh, so personal for me because I think about my son who is you know you know my background being um, Jamaican Canadian Jamaican, and then my husband being Greek Australian Greek, and. If he should want to go into this industry at some point in his life and he says, OK, as a biracial man, like entering into this, into this industry, I'm going to make the most authentic Greek food. And someone might look at him like, how is that even possible? You are a black man. Like there are no, you know, like so it, it this to me, like it, it brings to absolutely to your point and it, and it also pushes me to think like. What's going to happen in the next, in the future, future conversations about people talking about 
what's authentic, what's culturally specific to them, their themselves. When our cultures are blending and mixing and they're hmm. shifting and changing and they're expanding and they're growing. And my cultural identity that I have relating to is is it's my strand is 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 being removed more and more as as I grow and right. as my father passes and then migrate. Just to your point, I can relate like, to that. You yeah. know, like my son is has connections to Jamaica, but not the connections that I have. And even my connections to Jamaica aren't even direct because I wasn't born in Jamaica. I was born in Toronto, but grew up in the United States. My mom left, went to England, and then went to Canada, and then came to the U.S. So. It's the cultures that are shifting and changing and we're becoming a new culture and it's going to be a new race. And 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 that is an that's that future future conversation that I'm always pushing the budding on. Like, how do we how do we look at that? Because there's something in that that I feel is really enriching and not to 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 skew away or shy away from cultural appropriation. But I think it's there's something also in this the sense of like our cultures are shifting mm. They're expanding. Yep. That's an interesting conversation, and I can make a beer parallel here. Ooh, <laughs> yes, let's have it. In the beer industry right now, there's tons of innovation going on. There are new ingredients coming out. There are new techniques with barrel aging and souring, and a lot of brewers are very much keen to express themselves in how they're making beers. Brewers in Belgium are making American-style beers. Brewers in the U.S. are making Belgian-style beers. And we can put quotation marks around all that in terms of the authenticity. And then on the on the other side of things, we have a whole program, the Beer Judge Certification Program, that is devoted to preserving the, the integrity of these original styles and trying mm. to remind us you know, an English IPA, this is what it is. And now you go, you get an English IPA, it has American hops in it wherever you go. But that's not authentically what an English IPA is. And they've, it's sort of a body that is preserving those styles. And I often okay. get into conversations with people because, you know, they say styles are outdated, we don't need them. And, you know, brewers can do whatever they want. There are so many delicious beers. Why is it that now when we enter into competitions, the styles become a factor and that becomes a factor? And my response, and I'm seeing this and this, I just want to, you know, look into the future of yes. food um, through my beer lens, which has happened at a different in a different timeline, is what I'm seeing with all this quote unquote innovation is a lot of sameness. There are preferred ingredients that are out there, the American hops, a touch of sour, and all of a little bit of smoke, and all of the beers are become they're slowly tiptoeing towards each other. And for me, the the BJCP and those styles are about keeping that diversity and preserving that diversity. Hmm. And I'm just very intrigued when you talked about the melds and we're seeing already a lot of fusion cooking. Yep. And all I can think about is all of the recipes that will be lost. And all of the, you know, quote, we don't necessarily need to call them authentic, but yeah. maybe traditional, traditional or traditional historic dishes or something. And, and yeah. ways of cooking. And I wonder if eventually there'll be, uh, you know, a body to preserve those recipes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really fascinating to imagine what that's like. Yeah. Uh, and what that will be, because I'm just thinking about my own family, mm -hmm. right? And the fact that there are now in the next generation that my cousins, the, the babies that my cousins have had, there are now uh, white Maharajas, <laughs> which is amazing, right? But what if one of them wants to wants to start cooking Indian food? 
right? right. Um, presenting, you know what I mean? Whitey, whitey, white face, dear Samson. <laughs> uh, but what if he gets it when he grows up and then he wants to start cooking this specific South African Indian food? Because that's the one quarter of his identity is, is you know what I mean, is built that way. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's something to say about preser- about protecting the space for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I think, you know, like my... The, one of the last menus that I had an opportunity to to work on and to work with you on, which mm-hmm. was such a special time nice. and, and really dear to my heart, was when I, have for the first time, prepared an all-Jamaican menu. I have never, yeah. you know, I, I attended culinary school in New York and focused on wellness and, 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 and nutrition at the school. I went to the Natural Gourmet Institute. But when I left the school, like, when someone asked me, what kind of food do you do? I would say... French countryside, that's what I do. That's I never, ever wanted to be known or wanted to really put myself out there as someone that was making just Jamaican food. Yeah, you because and me both, sister. Always. I you know, constantly. How come? And, and at the time, I had dreads. At the time, I was living in Brooklyn. And at the time, I was just like, I feel like I was always trying to, to go a bit further and showing people that you have to just see that there's more to me than just maybe what you're physically looking at that just because I have dreads and yes I am Jamaican and yes I am black that that doesn't mean that I don't know other foods and other languages and other cultures and I haven't been I haven't traveled the world and seen things and experienced things and met people and had shared communities with other people that had inspired me to want to to express myself in a way that was outside of maybe my comfort my whole life I ate Jamaican food. My whole life it was it was ingrained in me. It was a part of my scents, my smells, my memories that are stained in my pillowcases that are stained on the walls in my father's house in Plantation, Florida. It's everything that is a part of me to the point that why can't I step outside of what is a part of me to open up a world that I don't know enough about, that I want to be explored by? So when thinking about cultural appropriation, I think about that point in my life where I made a decision when asked, what do I want to cook? And I said, I want to make an 100% menu that's dedicated to modern Jamaican food. And, you know, a part of me was like, how am I going to do this? Because one, my mother had passed. She's she's passed 18 years now. And a lot of those traditions had really went with her. And we never had that time to talk about. But a lot of it was going online and learning about what are the spices that go into my own curry? How do I make my own curry? How do I make my own jerk sauce? How do I make my own any any anything and everything that I thought about as, a, as an item on that menu? And I remember looking at you and like, always like like craving like is this is did i go farther did i go mm-hmm. deep enough did i did i did i really achieve what i feel is something that i sh- i have to be proud of and and i did that and you know still to this day like when i see people that have had an opportunity to eat that food to eat that menu to experience that menu they're like it was like nothing i'd ever experienced before and that brings everything to my heart that brings everything to my soul and that really kind of put me for me personally back in a space of being okay to recognize my cultural representation and being Jamaican and even though I wasn't born in Jamaica I had every right to make that food and claim that food as my own because I made it and I and it's based off of memory 
It's based off of stories and it's based off of everything that is a part of who I am. That's, uh, I think, another very important piece of this conversation. Mm-hmm. I feel that someone from a, a, someone who's white might not struggle so much with having to worry about being pigeonholed um, or how they treat that depends, I guess, on their last name or their appearance. You know, I'm, totally. I'm making generalizations, yeah. Yeah. but I feel that, and this is back to the comment you made earlier, Joshna, about you can't zip out of your mm-hmm. skin and there is a way that... Uh, you will be perceived, and that uh, informs what you are able to do, but also the way you clearly, from what you're saying, Suzanne, the way you approach your work, because you're so aware of how you're going to be perceived. And I think that's an uh, important piece of this. I don't think Gordon yeah. Ramsay had a split second of no. like, <laughs> no, because because then how, how are people going to perceive this? This is right? right because nobody's going to be like, what does this guy know? He's just going to make us sausages and Yorkshire pudding, right? Right? That that's not a thing. It's right. Not at Whereas all. moment one in my career as a chef, I've been explicitly clear about not wanting to be just known as the woman who shows up with pots of curry while simultaneously demanding the space to tell you that I will make you a curry that will bring you to your knees. But you just can't expect that that's my only trick. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that I also will make you the flakiest French pastry at the same time. Yeah. Right now, where this conversation is leading into an, another interesting direction, which is perhaps version, you know, I mean, part B of it, which will, you know, will continue later. But there is something there. I realized I, now that my career is 15 years long, probably a few years ago, I realized that I had maybe tossed out a beautiful connection to my own culture. Similar, right? similar to what Suzanne With was saying. With my kind of really kind of fueled passion to be taken seriously as a chef. I wanted to be separate from Indian food, right? And then and then somebody asked me for an Indian menu or to do something interesting with Indian flavors. And I and I actually had to do research and find cookbooks and call my mom and ask more questions about the how do I actually do this? Um, and is this a real like does this taste like a real thing? Does it taste like what you know to be Indian food? Am I going, is this too much of a departure? Um, And in the entire thing, I constantly worried about the whole, whether the whole scenario was just really cliche. Right. Right? That's the other piece of it all, right? Which is just perhaps way more emotionally loaded than a menu needs to be. Yeah. Uh, But it's, um, but but it's it's the truth. It's the real truth, right? I I have just, I feel as we're talking, the more we talk, the more my earlier statement about approaching it with uh, the cuisine with love and most importantly, being respectful to the culture mm-hmm. from where it comes from, that that seems to be really the key here. There, I, I also I agree with you. I think that there's a respect and there's an intention. Yes. Right. What is in intention your mind? Intention is a very important word to put into literally side by side with mm-hmm. respect. Yeah. There's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's I don't think drawing lines and saying you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do this is really the future or the way forward. But to really consider the attitude with which it's being done and, and the, the sort of the loving embrace uh, of, of, you know, and the respect that comes with it um, may be the easiest way for us to navigate this. Yeah. You know, I, I I agree with what you both said, and I think it's, you know, and, and I thank you both for having me a part of this conversation, because that is something that in my position right now um, with True True, um, True, True Diner um, and another project that I'm working on, I think it's it's important to be able to really exemplify that to my team, 
to under to to have the people that are working alongside me understand the importance of the respect and the intention behind the purpose of why a dish is being even considered to be on this menu. You know, and 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 if we're putting this on the menu, is it to say that it's the best and there's nothing else like it? We all want to think that and we all want to believe that. But I think the intention is to evoke the memory and and, and an experience that it's going to be very specific to what True True Diner will become known for and what I have been known for in this city and 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 it's an honor to to continue to be able to cook and to be able to utilize and have access to all of the cultural beauties that make up this city and to not feel like I have to choose day to day like I have to make this because I said I'm doing this or I have to do that because I'm over here. But because of the intention of my love for the craft and my love for being a, a woman of color in my position, I will continue to do this work and to be able to, to challenge and, and have these conversations. Has there been has there been a time where something happened and you just thought, hmm, that's not right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there's there's been a few times for that. Um I'm not going to name names. I don't think that's. No, I'm, I'm never about. This is my one thing that I'm. I'm not about, and it's not about calling out. It's about calling in, calling in people to recognize what is a problem and what is not working. Wonderful. And what is inaccurate to what you are saying is authentic, which is not. What is missing? What is not being like really considered as something that is so sensitive to race? and culture and when you're speaking on someone's food when you're speaking on someone's culture language customs traditions practices that is when it's has to be called in not called out called in to recognize and calling in is about either making contact directly with the owner making contact with the the the, the individuals that are in that particular space to ask the questions, to push back a little bit, to push forward, to bring in, because we are so quick. We are in an industry, we're in a time where it's all about social media and people putting people on blast for doing the wrong thing and not doing, not being conscious, not being sensitive, not being really aware of their wrongdoings or their right doings or their unknown doings, but calling them in for let me help you out. Let me let me recognize. Let me let me point some things out. Let me enlighten you. Let me let me support you. So without naming names, are you able to provide some examples of the type of thing that might require some calling in? Um, that could be the word play, the word usage on your menu, the descriptions of foods on your of your dishes. That could be the the uh, the makeup of your team. You know, who is serving the food, who is making the food, who is even maybe um, talking about the food, the the connection that the guest as well as the restaurant is. Is it really being conveyed? Does everyone understand, overstand what is happening? What is the intention behind this restaurant and whether your cultural connection is looks physically accurate or not? That has to be rooted in the in in into the into the actual respect of what that culture has gone through, the hardship. 
the realities of that culture and that tradition and what that represents. And that has to be part of the training that goes deep into the staff and into the team and into the food and into the cooks and into everybody. And and I think it's not it's 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 a missed opportunity if you don't recognize that it's a missed opportunity that you're giving your guests and your team and everyone that is ever going to walk past your establishment and assume that oh, I think it's an Indian restaurant or I think it's a Italian restaurant or I think it's a Greek restaurant. I actually don't know. It's a missed opportunity to to actually really take an opportunity to, to, to find that level of respect and to find that level of intention behind what you're doing. Right. So that's where I think for me, cultural appropriation is 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 not it's not it's not rooted it's not it's not it's 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 missing them it's missing the mark when these things are happening the depth is missing that the respect right. I, th- I think I, that 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 feels good to me yeah, being able feels... to talk about it because it I feel the fire inside of me and sometimes I have a hard time really articulating what that's all about I'm with you Woo. thanks for joining us thank you Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying The Hot Plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap.